For two months, we did a sermon series based on the Apostle Paul being in prison and writing to the church at Philippi. During that time, we talked about how that letter draws us out of our anxieties and allows us to have peace, or as Paul talks about, joy. For the month of November, I decided to take a different approach. Instead of preaching through a book of the Bible, which I always love to do, and we will be getting back to doing that soon, but for this month, I wanted to choose particular passages that talked about connection. And it was very intentional because I'm aware as we move into November that people are starting to feel disconnected again. Amen? People are starting to feel it, whether it be families, whether it be through work, there's all kinds of different places. And so for two weeks, we talked about connecting to God and how we have that connection to God. And ultimately, it's through the cross for what Christ has done for us, for giving our sins and, and cleansing us and giving us that opportunity to know that no matter where we are, whatever we go through, we're God's children. God listens to us. God cares about us. But you know, that's not all there is in the scripture. The Bible does talk to us about our connection with God, but there's also an awful lot about our connections with one another, and people need human connection. It's an essential part of, of who we are as God's children. I would think that the Bible basically teaches us two things, to love God and to love one another. I know that that's taught because not only is that what you find in the Old Testament, but when Jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment, he doesn't go to one commandment, he goes to two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. That's what we talked about two weeks, connecting to God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's easy when we talk about that to think, okay, that's all nice and pleasant and that's what we should do for others, but that's also what we need to do for ourselves because we need those connections. And I know perfectly well that people face struggles in relationships in their lives, meaning every single one of us has been in a relationship and possibly could be in one right now where there's been strain between ourselves and someone else and how we are dealing with them. If that is not true for you, if you've never had a problem with a relationship, if every relationship you've ever had has been perfect and everybody just goes, wow, this person has it figured out, come forward, we'll do our TED Talk right here and we will go viral on the internet as you can explain to everybody else how to be so perfect. But we're not that, are we? We've had those moments, we've had those times when we get disconnected from someone else. We've had those times when we've had breakdown in relationships. And that's why it's dangerous as Christians if we only talk about our relationship with God and we fail to talk about those horizontal relationships with one another. I've always liked the story of the little girl who woke up in the middle of the night and cried out, Mommy, I need you. And mom comes in, tucks her back into bed. And a few minutes later, Mommy, I need you. Mom comes back a second time. Honey, that's okay. It's, it's all fine. Third time, the child cries out, Mommy, Mommy, come here. And mom comes in and goes, Honey, don't you know that you're never alone, that God loves you and he's always with you? And the little girl looks up and said, Yeah, but sometimes I just need someone with skin on. Bible teaches that. We need someone with skin on. We need our relationship with God, but we also need, we need our relationship with one another. And then we come to 20th, first century America, Christians, people living here in Massachusetts, or if you're tuning in somewhere else in North America, I guess everybody who's, who's watches us is somewhere maybe could be in Florida, or we have people from Indiana, different places, Manitoba, we've had people who've listened, but the same thing is true with all of us. 
we are also experiencing an epidemic of loneliness. And that loneliness isn't only because of COVID-19. It certainly has made matters worse. But I'm here to tell you that even if we were not in the middle of a pandemic, loneliness has been and continues to be a problem with our society. The thing I'm about to tell you is a study that was done two years ago. Two years ago. This is not something that was done during the pandemic. This was before the pandemic. And it was discovered that 43% of all Americans say they suffer from loneliness for a significant amount of time. Hear that? 43%, before we even went into a pandemic, 43% of Americans say that for a significant time of their life, they suffer from this sense of loneliness. Now, loneliness is described as a debilitating psychological condition characterized by a deep sense of emptiness, lack of control, and personal threat. Loneliness not only affects us mentally and emotionally and spiritually, it actually affects us physically. It has been proven by studying people who have the common cold that symptoms are worse and the cold lasts longer if you have a sense of being disconnected and lonely. What does that say about COVID-19? It says that as much as we need to work on cures and, and we need to be able to deal with what we have to in terms of um, medical science, we also need to understand that if a person is suffering this sense of loneliness and detachment, they're much more vulnerable towards not only getting sick but staying sick. Loneliness as a psychological problem has also been proven to bring about premature death. We live in a time in which we are told that there were 100,000 people that have passed away during COVID-19 that we can't account for. And a lot of us who are in any kind of area of human services, whether it be pastors or counselors or social workers, we know that an awful lot of that has to do with stuff around loneliness. We've not only seen a rampant rise in suicide, in drug overdoses, all of that comes from people who feel just detached and disconnected. And so this whole idea of understanding the importance of human relationships is absolutely essential for us as Christians. The Bible does not only teach us to have a relationship with God. That is important, but it also teaches us to have relationships with one another. So I think of how bad it can be if someone goes to a pastor or a Christian friend and says, I'm really struggling, I'm having a tough time. And the best answer, or the only answer we can give is, well, you know God's always with you. You should just learn to have a better prayer life. Bible doesn't teach that. Bible doesn't say that our relationship with God excludes relationships with others. We need both. We need human contact. We need the ability to connect with one another. I went through a period of time in my life about 20 years ago where I really felt disconnected. And I realized in the end of it all that I needed to get back to my faith and what I believed and what the scriptures had to tell me. And I had to learn to live appropriately according to that. And I discovered by, again, going back and reading things like Paul's letters, that so much of it was about human connection and building relationships and working out problems we had with everyone else. And it became apparent to me that one of the things that scripture is so clear on is if I'm having problems in my relationships with others, I cannot change them and I cannot change the circumstances around us. Likewise, you and I cannot change COVID-19 or the pandemic. We're not going to be able to walk out of here and make everything the way we would like it in our society, but we do have control over the three most important things, me, myself, and I. 
And that's what Paul brings us back to. What am I doing about my relationships with others? What am I doing to get connected? And how am I harming relationships or allowing relationships to be harmed and then feeling disconnected all the while I have had people who I used to have relationships with? How do I get reconnected with them? How do I build those relationships? Otherwise, I fear that we become like Hetty Green. She's a favorite of many of us when we think about having things that we don't put into practice because Hetty Green is America's greatest miser. She lived in the 1920s. She was a stockbroker, and she had more money than any other woman has ever amassed in America. In fact, even by today's standards, if you take the amount of money that she had and you bring it into today's world, she would still be the richest woman in the world. It's too bad Oprah Winfrey, Hetty, had more money than you. But she also died of malnutrition. Because having as much money as she had, she never accessed it. She was such a miser that she never took advantage of what she had in the bank. And I fear that we do that as Christians. We spiritually have this depth of resources in Scripture and, and what the Bible teaches us and how we should live as Christians. But if we don't access it, we literally become spiritual misers. And God's not going to change our lives and change our situation for us. And so we need to go back and we need to do the work. And that's why we come to things like Paul's letter to the Colossians. The church at, that he was writing to was a church that was threatened by a form of Gnosticism. Now, that's a word we don't hear a lot about, but Gnosticism is this idea that there's this secret knowledge and this secret information out there. And in this Gnosticism, they became quite what we would call ascetics. They were doing away with all the human comforts in life. And in so doing, what was happening is within this church, people started to think that the only thing that mattered was their relationship with God and the secret knowledge and information that they were coming to. And so they started separating from one another because that was all that mattered. And pretty soon the church was deteriorating because instead of people working on their relationships with each other, they were like, oh no, I've got this secret knowledge, this secret thing that has made me better than others. And Paul gets concerned as he's writing this letter to them to get them to get away from that dangerous teaching and learn the importance of just working out their relationships with one another. You see, you can be in a relationship with a Christian, believe it or not, who doesn't see the world the way you do. Shocking news. We don't all have to be lockstep with one another on everything. And when we do, we become, again, like those church that Paul writes to. I think also today we've created our own sense of Gnosticism. We just have a different name for it. We call it social media. It's that way in which we can individually get this secret knowledge and the secret information that nobody else has access to your smartphone and all the information that you have the way you have it. And in so doing, we separate ourselves from others. We go into our own thinking. We stare at our own phone. Even when we're around other people, you can have a whole dinner party going on and everybody can just be staring at their own phone and there's no human interaction and no human connection there. And then we wonder, why are we feeling disconnected? Why are we feeling lonely? Why are we feeling isolated? Well, we've created 21st century Gnosticism. I have my own secret information that separates me from everyone else and I'm absorbed in it. And what do I do when I'm not feeling good? I double down and go to it more and then people feel more disconnected. And so what Paul says, instead of that, let's look at healing relationships. 
If human relationships matter, he writes to the church, and he says in his letter to the Colossians, let me help you understand how to get along with each other. Let us learn to understand that we need to listen to each other, we need to love each other, and we need to build relationships even when others don't see the world exactly the way we do. Now, I don't know if you've discovered that yet, but maybe this is a, the big wow moment this morning. You're the only one who views the world the way you do. You're the only one. Nobody else sees everything the way that you do. And if that's what we're waiting for in our relationships, is for everybody else to come around to our way of thinking, it's not going to happen. And so Paul's writing to the church, and he's explaining to them how to build better relationships. And he says it begins by actually changing how we dress ourselves in the morning. He says you need to put on new clothes. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. The word he uses here is the Greek word anudo, which literally means to clothe yourself. Jesus uses the same word when he talks about how we dress ourselves or how we clothe ourselves. He even talks about the fields being clothed in all of this beauty. He talks about Solomon being clothed. So it's a word that usually is talking about our physical appearance, but it's more than that. You see, when we feel disconnected from others, we literally can put a, be putting on the wrong clothes in the morning. We wake up with yesterday's angers and yesterday's resentments and yesterday's frustrations and all the things that we find wrong in this world, and we wonder why people don't want to hang around with us. Do you wonder? If I get up in the morning, I get to choose if I put a smile on my face. I get to choose how I'm going to talk to people. I get to choose what I'm going to clothe myself in. Making sense here? It's what we put on. It's the very appearance that we get to show to other people. And Paul is letting us understand that we... Just as we need to put on physical clothes, we need to put on spiritual clothes. Physical clothes can also, incidentally, separate us from other people. If I go through life and I put on things that I'm wearing that are said in such a way to push other people away, guess what? I'm going to start pushing people away. It made me think of the time when David was, I believe, an eighth grader at Whitensville Christian School. And good old mom and dad had gone out shopping for him, and we had nice new school clothes, but he never wanted to wear them. And finally, I talked to him, and I said, why do you not wear any of the clothes that we bought you for school? And he goes, they're not cool. Aunt Lenora bought me cool clothes. I want to wear them. So finally, one day, I said, well, this has gotten to be too much because your mom and I spent money getting you new clothes. You're going to wear something that we gave. And we went through his closet. And finally, I came down to a T-shirt. I said, this T-shirt is cool. He goes, I guess so. I said, we bought it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland last summer. You can wear it. He goes, okay, where is this shirt to school? And I get a call from the headmaster. Mr. Cushing, why did you tell your son to violate the school dress code? I said, what are you talking about? And he said, didn't you know that we have a policy the kids are not supposed to wear at Waitensville Christian School T-shirts that have the name of a rock band on? Because then it only pushes other kids away. Your son didn't only come with a name of one rock band on. It's got like 40 rock bands names on his shirt. The day that dad made him violate the dress code. Yes, our clothes can push people away. And Waitensville Christian School knew that. The only dress code they had was things that would keep kids separated from other kids. 
They weren't some restrictive dress codes. They were just saying, hey, we don't want kids coming with something that somebody else is going to find offensive and is going to push people away. We want to give every opportunity for kids to get along with each other. Paul says, now let's take that to our spiritual clothes and put on a compassionate heart. Dress yourself with compassion towards someone else. I know that you may feel at times when you're talking to someone, there they go again, but that's okay. If we have compassionate hearts and we choose to have compassionate hearts, we listen to others and we take time to understand that maybe they need to talk about it one more time. He goes on and he says, dress yourself with kindness. I've never seen anyone turned away by someone who's being kind to them. We don't really need to unpack that word, do we? We know what it means to be kind and, and how we treat others. And I like the next one, humility. Again, this gets back to this idea that it's hard to believe, but others don't have to see the world the way I see it, and I can be a little bit humble and maybe say I was wrong. Or maybe say maybe you do have a good point there. He goes on and says, close yourself with meekness. That means gentleness. The image here is of a person who has power because we all have power with our words and our actions and the way that we act, but having it under control so that we're being kind. And finally, he says, with patience. Dress ourselves with patience. If we're having problems in relationships with others, what are we dressing ourselves with in the morning? What are we putting on? What's the way in which we're approaching people? How are we talking to others? How are we coming across to others? Because we get to choose that. And if we choose to do it in a manner in which we're kind towards others and understanding towards others and compassionate to others, we're living the life that the Apostle Paul is telling us we need to live as Christians. Just as we say it's important to read your Bible and pray, those are activities that we need to do, so on. Also, we're instructed to put on particular behaviors towards one another so that we can be Christ-like in our relationships. But then, we also need to realize that we've done damage in our relationships. And we don't have perfect relationships with one another. So having understood the importance of putting on the right spiritual clothes on how we address one another, Paul goes on to say that we need to choose to heal our relationships. That's your choice. You get to choose in any relationship that you have damage in your life, you get to choose to do what you can to heal that relationship. It doesn't mean the other person is going to take everything the way you want them to, even if you tell them you forgive them or ask for forgiveness, but we still get to do our part. And as we like to say, we like get to keep our side of the street clean. Verse 13, Paul puts it this way, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Hear that word? Forgive. Let it go. Don't hold on to it. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also must you forgive. See, God's forgiven us so much, and so we're instructed to extend that same grace towards others. Bearing with one another is a really interesting word here. The word, actually, we didn't know what it meant, but one of the things we've discovered about the New Testament is there were these words that, that weren't understood, and then it was years later that we found different things. It was actually a letter that helped us understand what this word bearing with one another means. And do you know what it means? It means to put up with a little foolishness. Put up with a little foolishness. Wouldn't we be better off as Christians if we could start doing that? Rather than getting irritated with somebody, we could take a step back and say to ourselves, they're acting crazy. Pastor Stan told us that they were going to act crazy. The Apostle Paul put it right there in the Bible. They're acting nuts. 
Now what's my responsibility? To put up with it. Not to challenge it, not to argue with it, not to fight with it, not to point out to them that they're being foolish, but to learn to put up with a little foolishness. I always think about a, a church in Whitensville, Massachusetts. It was a very conservative church in town. And in that church was the most liberal Christian I've ever run into in my life. And I tell you that because a guy used to write letters to the editor for the Worcester newspaper, and he did it with such proficiency that they frequently had him write editorials. And I'm telling you, you think Bernie Sanders is to the left? This guy made Bernie Sanders look like a conservative, and he's living in the most conservative church in town. And that used to puzzle me. And one day I pulled him aside and I said, you're a good friend and I want to ask you something. He said, sure, what's that? How do you get along with people in your church? He said, I love my church. I said, how do they get along with you? He said, my congregation loves me. I said, do you have a single person who politically agrees with you in your church? He goes, oh, absolutely not, Pastor Stan. I'm so far to the left. That's such a conservative church. We could never see eye to eye. And I said, how do you do it? He said, we just love each other. We're Christians. We've just learned to love each other. I don't care that they disagree with me, and they don't care that I disagree with them. We've just learned to work it out. You see, we can put up with a little bit of foolishness. And what do we do as Christians? We take all that stuff and we make it so important, and it's not. Paul teaches us we need human relationships. We need to learn to love each other. We need to be able to put up with a little foolishness. And then we need to learn to forgive one another. I love the word for forgiveness. It's the word charis. It's a word for grace. We need to extend grace to each other. We talk about being charismatic. The, the church talks about what's it mean to be a charismatic church? Does it mean to have the gift of the Spirit where people speak in tongues? I like to think to be a charismatic Christian means you use charis the way Paul uses it. It means you extend forgiveness to one another. So if you're a forgiving person, you can call yourself a charismatic Christian. Because that's what it is. Extending grace to others. Forgiving them. Why do we have loneliness in our society? Because people have burned through relationships that were healthy relationships, but we've let everything else get in the way, and we have families ripped apart, we have communities ripped apart, we have people who just don't understand how to get along with each other. And the Apostle Paul says, really, the way that we do it is we clothe ourselves with different kind of clothes, so we act different and come across different with others. We learn to put up with a little bit of foolishness, and we start forgiving one another. And lo and behold, what starts happening? We start having healthy relationships. We start realizing that all those relationships that we burned through, those are really decent human beings and people that we learn to love and learn to care about. And we learn in our church to realize that we don't all have to walk lockstep and foot with one another. We just need to be united by what unites us which is the love of Jesus for every single human being and the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his life for you and for me and for each one of us and now receiving that grace as we have been forgiven, Paul says. Remember that. As we've been forgiven, we now forgive others. Not because they deserve it, not because they quit being foolish, not because they start seeing the world our way, but think how foolish you and I must look to God. How crazy those people are living. What'll I do about it? I'll give my life for them. I'll shed my blood on Calvary. I'll send my very son to atone for their sins. Which is why the last thing that Paul tells you is if you and I want to have healthy relationships, let's let the peace of Christ rule. 
nothing else. Something rules everybody's life. Every single one of us has something in control. Maybe crazy thoughts, it may be unforgiveness, it may be a desire for more wealth, it may be an interest in more, a better job, it may be a political agenda, it doesn't really matter. Everybody has something that's in charge. And Paul talks about what should charge. He says, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule. Hear that? Let Christ's peace rule in our hearts. To which indeed you are called. And how were we called? He says we're called to one body. Peace. Peace is what we want to have in our physical body. And Paul talks about that elsewhere in Scripture, in both Romans and 1 Corinthians. And he talks about how we're the body of Christ and compares it to our own body. And he said, you know, if you want to understand what it means to have the peace of Christ rule in our, in our relationships, think of our own body. And in my body and in your body, we have a thing called a finger. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about our finger until we get a hangnail. And if you pull that hangnail just right, it hurts like crazy. And all of a sudden we realize, man, that finger was important. Or recently, I've had a couple members of our congregation who have all of a sudden discovered with kidney stones that kidneys are a really important part of their body that they maybe weren't thinking about until all of a sudden you get a kidney stone. Or if you have somebody who has a gallbladder attack, they probably the week before weren't coming to church and saying, you know, I'd like to talk to you about my gallbladder. But man, let that thing act up and it's important. And Paul says that's how we need to approach one another. Nobody is unimportant. Every human being and every relationship we have matters. And if we're going to be truly Christian in our relationships, in our families and in our church, and as we extend those circles out, we start realizing we want peace in those body. And we want it to rule in our relationships. And so we learn to love and forgive and be gracious. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, we're living the way Christ wants us to live. And we're no longer feeling isolated. Try fighting with your body. I like to have to say everybody walk out of church this morning. Like, that stupid finger, can you believe it? And just whack your finger a couple times. And get really mad at your toe. Just walk out of church and say, I'm just going to, that toe over there, it's not been acting good. And just start stomping on it. People go, you're nuts. You're crazy. But we're also crazy if we act like that towards one another. It's just as sick, Paul tells you. If that's how we treat others, it, would we do that to our own physical body? Then why do we do it to the body of Christ? Why do we do it to the body of our family? Why do we do it to the body of our country? Why do we do it to the body of our community? Paul wants us to understand that we are called to have a healthy relationship with God and healthy relationships with one another. He got concerned about the church in Colossae because they had started to think other people didn't matter. They started to think as long as they had their own view, as long as they could figure it out in their own mind, as long as they could come to the secret truth and realize that they were better than others, it was okay because they had lived the life that God called them to live. And Paul said, I don't think so. That's not what we're called to be as Christians. We're not called to be on a higher level mentally, emotionally, than everyone else. To have some secret truth. But we are called to be forgiven, and to forgive. To be connected to God and to connected with one another. And when we do that, we're not just listening to Paul. We're not just doing what a modern study says needs to happen to Christians and, and people living in the 21st century. We're doing what Jesus told us to do. Because Jesus said life comes down to two things. 
learning to love God and learning to love people. Let's learn to go through this week and put up with a little bit of foolishness from others and see what a difference it makes in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call that you have on our lives to learn to love and accept and, and work through things that we know that others are not going to be as smart as us because they're not us, and of course they could never be as smart as any one of us. They'll never see the world the way we do because they don't have our minds, and so we'll just go through life and realize that they're never going to do it. But then we can pause and realize that none of that matters. Because what does matter is our connection to you and our connection to them and help us to clothe ourselves with compassion and understanding and grace. Help us learn the importance of loving and being loved, of doing what we can to bring about healing to relationships that we've had any kind of problems with and not expecting them to turn around immediately, but knowing that if we do the right thing, that with you working, every relationship really can be restored to a level that it, at least every relationship is functional. And as we start feeling connected with people, help us put up with some foolishness. Help us realize it's okay and help us in that process to just forgive and to let go of the things that we harbor that, that cause us to separate from others that we might live the life that you want us to live as your body, your children, your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.